Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of The Evil Safety Dudes. I am your host, Mr. Aaron Iacino, the Director of Risk Management for IBC. And this is our podcast for all things employee health and safety related. Anything to do with the hazard of somebody on the job, we're going to talk about it on this show. If it's how to survive an attack from a student to how not to die by a trench collapse, anything and everything occupational health and safety related from bodyguards to painters to teachers to the guy at the gas station. If, if it's a job that pays and it has hazards, we're talking about it on this show. And I have a very special treat for you all today. I have Mr. Dustin Koppel on the show. How are you doing today, sir? Uh, very well. Thank you. And yourself? I'm doing good. Hopefully, I did not uh, take you off the course for this. Uh, no, I actually got around in before this episode. So nice, and you know, don't let this hour go by where I don't pick your brain about that because I got a lot of questions about that. And I think that's really cool what you're doing and stuff. So I definitely want to talk about that. But for those of you that don't know, Mr. Dustin Koppel, he is the head Krav Maga instructor for the Global Martial Arts University. He is teaching Krav Maga online to people pretty much all over the world. Um, Dustin, has what's like the, I don't know, the farthest country away that you've had a student from? Oh, man. We literally have them all over the world, like you said. I just graded a guy's assignment yesterday in South Africa. Uh, wow. Was just another day in uh, Australia. Wow. Uh, Switzerland. Wow. So they are all over the place. Have a bunch here in the States, Canada, uh, a bunch in Europe and all those countries. So they, they literally all over the world. That's really cool. And I, and I really love the GMAU because it gives people a chance to learn Krav Maga who have no access to it otherwise because – Although I feel Krav Maga is gaining popularity in the U.S., there's still not a lot of schools around. What do you think? Yeah, no, I'm actually uh, down in Corpus Christi area in Texas, and there's not really any Krav Maga schools down here either. <clears throat> and, you know, there's some that teach self-defense, but, you know, they're not doing Krav. So, it, you know, I'm in a town with 300,000 plus, and there's not a Krav school. So, yes, I, I do agree that. It is not everywhere yet, um, but it's definitely growing. Yeah, and, you know, I've seen that good and bad. You know, um, I've seen some crowd schools that, you know, are really legit, and I feel like they're putting out people that could really defend themselves against violent attacks. And then I see other schools that maybe were primarily a very watered-down, not-combative style. Then they start offering Krav, and I, I look at their videos and it looks like their other watered down style that they do. And I'm just kind of like, oh, my goodness, this is getting us a bad name. Have you ran into that yet where you're just like, this isn't Krav, you know? Yeah. So to touch base on that, I, I mean, I could we could have a whole podcast episode on that alone. But really, the, the issue with that is there's a lot of organizations that do overnight uh, certifications is what I call them. Typically like a weekend long. You'll come in two days, something like that. And what we've done with GMAU to prevent that is you have to be a student first. You actually have to have passed the test, have, and you have to be a level higher than what you're going uh, to teach. 
So we require these people to be proficient at it. And on top of that, they actually have to go through how to become an instructor. It's what we call CMAT, Certified Martial Art Teacher. So we're teaching them how to teach in a program before they can even start to teach Krav. So that's really just kind of what we've done to help prevent that as much as we can. But there's so many organizations that are just money hungry. And, you know, it it, it, it kind of gives Krav a bad name. And I know people that will swear up and down Krav is the worst thing on the face of the earth and will get you killed. And I know people that have literally had uh, their lives saved because of their Krav training. So it really is a double-edged sword. But really, that's with any martial arts style. I mean, like Mr. Miyagi said, not a, not a bad style, just bad teacher. So, <laughs> yeah, they all definitely have their merits, and yeah, it all comes down to kind of instructors too. Now, before we get to like present day, I want to go back in history and just kind of, you know, what was your martial art journey? How did you go from a non martial artist to a martial artist? So I did it a little bit as a kid, uh, just loved Ninja Turtles growing up. And they signed me up. I cannot remember what style it was. My uncle trained as well. And, you know, he taught me some things growing up. So it was just kind of fun. And it was always there. Uh, then I picked it back up in high school. Had a, a friend whose family owned a Krav and Muay Thai kickboxing school. Really? And they invited me in my senior year of high school. Started there. Started training. I just fell in love with it again. Uh, it was definitely challenging. And. I went to maybe after just a couple of weeks of training, I went to the owner of the school. His name is John Gabriel. He's a black belt through Krav Maga worldwide. And I, I was just like, Hey, you know, I'd love to work for you. What could I do? Started out at the front desk and, you know, here I am working front desk, doing the evening classes, doing multiple classes at night, kickboxing, Krav, advanced Krav, and just progressing and learning as much as I could. Uh, probably after about, seven or eight months of training, got to go do my phase one down in LA. And uh, just kind of from there, it was a ripple effect. Uh, 2009, had a job offer out in Tennessee, working for uh, one of the, the bigger martial arts schools, uh, licensings and their universal training center. Or uh, yeah, their international training center was in Knoxville. And <clears throat> so learned a ton there. Uh, in the meantime, in 08 also, I started with jiu-jitsu as well. So it's really just been those three styles, Muay Thai kickboxing, Krav, and, and BJJ for me, the, the three that I absolutely love. It well, just haven't stopped since 07. So. I don't think you can go wrong with those three styles, right? I mean, no. if you had to pick three, you know, those are going to be in the top for sure, you know. Um, well, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, now, I totally agree. John Gabriel, man, he's quite the accomplished Krav Maga artist. Um, I've done a little research on him, and, you know, I think he won some awards, and he, you know, and, and I think he trained from Darren Levine and Darren from Emmy. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So we, we, I'd be, what, third generation, something like that from Emmy? So. Yeah, that's really awesome, man. So really cool lineage there. And, uh, yeah. and that's cool. And that, and so you mentioned, um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Muay Thai and, and Krav Maga and, uh, all right. Now, um, did you do any law enforcement too in your past? Yeah. When I moved out to Knoxville in 2012, I believe to 2013, 
I worked for the Knox County Sheriff's Office for about a year. And funny story with that, we're going through uh, what they call CODA training, which is certified or a, a correctional officer training academy. And, you know, you have to do at least a year minimum in the jail before you can apply to go to the road. And I just, I really wanted to switch it up and get that style just to better suit my teaching style, just to learn and, and experience it firsthand. So that way, when I'm actually teaching law enforcement, I would at least know the lingo. I've been there. I, I know what they're going through. So did it for about a year. Enjoyed it. A lot of politics, but uh, I had the opportunity to open up my own school. And, you know, that was always my number one dream. So I did leave law enforcement after about a year to open up my own school. Nice. Was that the National Martial Arts? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. Now, um, when you were in your training with the Sheriff's Department, I imagine they were teaching you whatever defensive tactics style that they chose. Now at this time you're, right. you're yeah. yeah, you're already accomplished martial artist. What did you think of like especially with Krav, you know, having a lot of his history in the military, what did you think of what you already knew versus what they were training you to do? Yeah, so and, and I said funny story because I was gonna mention this and I totally just went on a tangent on that last question you asked. <laughs> but when we were going through the defensive tactics, uh you know they they spend maybe like 12 hours. You do one day for about four hours. Then you do one hard day of about eight hours and not even halfway through that eight hour day. They actually had me up there teaching the rest and they were really <laughs> picking my brain. from nice. it. So, you know, they, uh, <clears throat> they would really just show your basic combatives, punches, hammer fist, palm strikes, uh, they were teaching kind of like a cover and advance, a uh, basic takedown, some mount work, and then how to escape mount. And well, that's nice. Then they did, of course, uh, some knife defense stuff, which that I, it was really funny because I would, you know, I would do what they're doing, yeah, just because I don't want to be disrespectful. But like when we would do the live drills, I told the instructor, I was like, "Look, I'm not going to be able to fall back on what you're doing, so come on." And uh, I remember ended up picking up a chair while we were doing it and used it as an improvised weapon. and just really backed <laughs> off really quick. So it was kind of fun in, in that sense, but uh, always thinking outside the box. That's how I like to approach Krav. Well, but yeah, it was, you know, it was really just the basics and then some pretty wild um, knife stuff. Because like I said, I was at that time, I was putting in my year before I could go to the road. Cause I did want to go to the road and, go through that training as well, but I had that opportunity to open up the school. So nice. Yeah. So, you know, I think, uh, Krav definitely has its place for, for law enforcement to use. It seems like a lot of law enforcement military has adopted a lot of jujitsu and, uh, the Gracie, um, tactic system. But, um, you know, I just wonder if, if, cause it's already happening, like how much Krav is going to infiltrate, United States policing and sheriff's department and military and stuff like that. Yeah. So truthfully, I mean, I'm really a firm believer that they, they need both. Um, they need Krav and they need jujitsu. They need jujitsu because you are, if, if you think about your job, you're wanting to arrest the person, get cuffs on them, get control of them as fast as you possibly can 
to try to prevent lawsuits and just how wild and getting on camera and things like that. So if you can learn how to properly control someone without uh, injuring them, how to manipulate them, that's so important. But at the end of the time, if, if that's all you know and a weapon is pulled out, you know, I'm not knocking on jiu-jitsu by any means, but I've watched and seen and I've even trained a lot of their weapon defense stuff. And it has no time of day to be taught to people just because they're not doing any combative. They're trying to redirect and then throw someone. Like, how am I going to teach that to a female officer and, and they're fighting a the male? Like, there's no way. And so when, you, when you're when you doing things like that, that's when you can get people injured and hurt really quick because, yeah, they're going to try to fall back on their training. And a lot of times, you know, when people end up getting shot, it's because, well, they didn't, weren't properly trained. They were just, okay, that's my very last resort. And they get to that so quick because they forget their training or they're not properly properly trained or they try it didn't work. And they pull out their firearm and that's what they have to do to survive. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, they want to go home to their families too. So they're trying to survive and do what they need to do. Definitely. Now in the, the Krav Maga that you teach for the GMAU, there is a lot of, uh, uh, jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu, judo. Um, do you, was that something that, that you put in or you think that that's, you know, Krav in general has a lot of that in there now? you know, worldwide? Uh, no, we, uh, well, I do know that worldwide and uh, universal and uh, tactical and all these different organizations, you know, they, they really all started with um, worldwide. I mean, that was, they, they worldwide literally tried to license the name Krav Maga and they lost that lawsuit. And, you know, after that, a lot of them started to branch off and they kind of put in their own ideas. And that was kind of the same thing as I looked at the popularity of jiu-jitsu and I have a love for jiu-jitsu and uh, judo and wrestling and these different styles. And that was something we just added to the program because of how widespread jiu-jitsu is and mainstream it is. And if it's not added to the program and, you know, Kramaga talks about always evolving. So if you're not evolving your style, what are you doing? Right. So that was why we, we did implement those things. And, and I feel it's important. And there's still, um, you know, I get questions that pop up from students and I'm like, oh, you know what? That's a great point. I need to add that to the curriculum or I need to put that in the extras. So, you know, it's still to this day, just when things pop up and what changes, we add it. So, and that, that's so awesome. And, and that to me is, is one of the many reasons why I really love Krav Maga because it does, evolve and adapt i was um the show the the one we just recorded i had uh another practitioner of krav and he got to teach in london and now he's in kansas but he said i had to change my my what i taught based on where i was at he said because when i was in london the knife attacks were so insane we had to focus so much on that and then he gets to kansas city and he's like, all right, what are the prevalent attacks around here that I need to focus on? But he had that same mind frame that you did that I'm not just going to teach a blank system and curriculum with zero thought to actual attacks that people are dealing with because that defeats the purpose of crowd, right? Yes, yeah, 100%. And, you know, the people, like we have a handful of students in South Africa, and they say the same thing. It's just, and even uh, in Europe as well, it's knives. That's what they have to deal with. Right. And, you know, I, it's, it's a whole different ball game when 
you're having to deal with knives and whatnot. So we, we try to do the best we can with that too. And, you know, putting the jujitsu in there, I think that's so smart because, um, I think I was thinking it was just America, but I, I was talking to some of these guys who, who travel the world and teach in Saudi Arabia and all over the place. And they're like, no, like MMA is everywhere now. It's, it's infiltrated every culture. So, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking like a, a, a rear naked choke, not a good one, but a basic rear naked choke and a basic arm bar are kind of almost standard, like knowledge for like, like 18 to 25 year old males. You know, I think like, yeah, yeah. you know, and so if you're neglecting those defenses for that, you know, I don't think you're doing the best job you can at teaching self-defense. So the fact that you were aware of that and have that in the curriculum, I think that's really cool. Yeah, and in all, in all honesty, too, like when when I had my school, because we did end up selling it, uh, you know, we worked with a, a bunch of different black belts. And every single Saturday, we'd have our black belt class. And we would just go through, you know, whatever the weapons are. All right let's try to find the flaws in this and how can we make these techniques better and safer. And, you know, we would do that for our, our weapons and we would try to come up with new techniques and think outside the box, like, okay, how can I attack you different? And, you know, we would just do all these crazy situations and scenarios just to get a different mindset of it. And you'd find out really quick, like, okay, yes, we're following the principles of Krav, but you get on the ground you need to change the principles a little bit and tweak it. And that's just kind of what we've done. You know, we, like you said, we don't want to just be cookie cutter, follow. This is what we've always done. No, it has to evolve and things have to change. And I've always had the mindset of the hundred pound girl, a hundred pound girl can't do it. Then why am I teaching it? You know, I see so many schools, like you said, rear naked choke to where they get put into a rear naked choke. They're going to try to hip toss somebody and that's their defense. Like, there's no way a girl is going to hip toss me unless they've had years and years and years and years and years of judo or something. That's all they've done. You know, but at the same time, like, that's a lot of weight they got to carry. If I'm 265 and and I do that, good luck. But, you know, striking to the groin or covering your throat a little bit and protecting it. And, you know, that's where you start to change things. And uh, same with arm bars. Like, what's the most practical way to defend it? And, And that's what we've done. Yeah, I like that too because, you know, I study jujitsu as well and they don't, you know, modern jujitsu obviously doesn't strike, but, you know, when you're trying to get out of every submission without striking, you're, you're missing a big part of the puzzle and everything's easier when you can neck crank and eye gouge and, and strike to get in or out of the submission. So that's what I love about the Krav self-defense against some of the jujitsu is we're using all the tools versus just, you know, uh, you know, jujitsu non-striking tools. Now, yeah, and even even our techniques too. Like when it comes to jujitsu, we like to encourage the eye gouge if you're trying to pull the arm across the chest and redirect the head because you get a much faster response. So, definitely, 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 definitely encouraged. Now, um, you were mentioning like uh, training with the sheriff's department and working that job to help you as better like instruct law enforcement when you teach them. Now, I understand you did some yeah. competing too. Did that uh, influence how you teach as well? Correct, yes. Because uh, something that, you know, if you look at Krav, and there's also a gentleman named Ryan Hoover who has a really cool concept of training from the positive instead of training from the negative. 
so influencing that as well to what we've done. But what that means is how can I train before I get attacked? So, you know, that's a, a big influence of the way that we teach, but also I like to do soft, medium, and hard uh, because soft is going to be, it's, I don't want to hurt the person. I don't want to be held or grabbed or, you know, it's a drunk relative and they go to throw a punch. I don't want to hurt them. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to obviously protect myself. So that's what I call a soft technique. You're just doing the technique. And that was a big thing, too, that we taught the kids is for bully prevention. Like, you can defend yourself, but we're not necessarily going to strike. We're going to defend ourselves, create space, and change our angles and put obstacles in the way and find the teacher or whatever. Same thing with adults. Put obstacles in your way, create space, blah, blah, blah. The next thing is the medium which is where you go into control. And that is where, you know, it's maybe they do it once and they're coming at you again. You don't necessarily want to hurt them, but I need to get control of them. And that's where we talk about takedowns. That's where we talk about wrist manipulation. That's where we talk about arm drags and getting to the back and different chokes that we can do and not necessarily applying pressure, but getting to that position. So we're in a dominant position. So, you know, that we have a whole wide variety of that. Then, of course, the last one is hard techniques. That's like, I got to do what I got to do. This is a survival situation at this point. And, you know, the, the medium part came from law enforcement. And that was something that I really wanted to incorporate and, and teach people just because I felt like that was missing in Krav. Because Krav was always like aggression, 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 go, 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 go. You know, and then the only time they ever talked about a soft technique was like on the wrist grabs and that was it. So, you know, that was something as well that, that came from my background of, of law enforcement. And that's awesome. And that philosophy, you know, the soft, medium, hard, that's why I think crop can be used in multiple different scenarios besides civilian self-defense or, you know, boot camp, military self-defense, like for a teacher, you know, cause if you have soft and medium, you, you could use that on the job because, you know, if a student attacks you, yeah, if it's life or death, do what it takes to get home safe. But if it's not life or death, you shouldn't be rupturing their testicles and collapsing their trachea. You know, you're not going to teach yes. anymore ever, <laughs> you know? Yeah, 100%. And so, you know, for teachers, for nurses, for people who work the counter at the, um, you know, the, the energy, you know, where you pay your gas bill that turn off your gas and people come over the desk at them, you know, for people who are dealing with clients, I think it's so important for professionals on the job to have that soft and medium, but you can't neglect that hard for when it is life and death, you know? Correct. Yeah. And we did a lot of different self-defense seminars with a lot of different people. And that was something that I always taught with soft, medium, hard. And, you know, just everyone has a, a different concern. And depending on the, the profession, you know, that they're always going to be worried about something. And there's something in the back of their head. Uh, I actually had my dad call me today. My mom got a, a new job, going to be a mail person and, uh, you know, delivering mail and she can't have a firearm. So he was like, hey, what can she use? You know, what can she do? So that was a conversation that we had with them and sorry about that. My dog was barking there, but it was just something that, you know, people have different situations and different needs and yeah, a hundred percent on that. And you just have to try to address them as best that you can. And, and I really believe that soft, medium, hard concept 
if we're not talking about having some type of, of weapon on us or uh, some type of tool like that. But yeah, that's, that's really the way to go. Um, can she carry pepper spray? Uh, it sounds like it. Yeah. I talked about getting, uh, that was a couple of the things that I mentioned to them was like getting some bear spray is a great one. Uh, having like a cubiton is another good one. And I don't know if she can have a knife, but you know, that's always good too. But I've seen, uh, some of our ma- male carriers around here, they have, uh, it's basically pepper spray, but it's for dogs, but I'm, you know, it's going to yeah. work on a human too. <laughs> You know, if it'll, if it'll hurt a German shepherd, it's going to hurt, you know, Joe down the street, you know? Um, Oh, and trust me, it's awful getting sprayed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um, what are some of your, you know, future martial art goals? You know, um, cause I know as a martial artist and a lifelong martial artist, we're never like done. You know, we always have that next level that we want to get to any of that popped into your brain yet. So, Really, I, uh, in November, I actually just finally received my black belt in jiu-jitsu after wow. 08, the 2021. So, Man. I don't know, a lot of years, 13 years of training. That was really my last major goal that I was focused on. That's a big um, one. You know, and, and I finally accomplished that one. And then right now, I'm uh, really enjoying, because we're traveling full-time. I'm really, really enjoying just gym crashing. And yeah. when we were in Tyler, Texas, I was going to another crowd school and it, I had a great time with him. He was very open-minded as far as like the training goes and had different concepts and a different way of thinking. And it was really cool. And then the other thing that, uh, with jujitsu as well, I'm just going to these different schools and, and doing different things. So my main goal right now is while we travel, I'm just enjoying being a student again because I taught for so long and I didn't get to do this. I didn't get to go to all these schools and, and, and all that. So it's really like, I'm just restarting in a way. And that's kind of what I'm focusing on and just learning as much as I can from all these different instructors and picking their brains and having conversations with them and just seeing their mindset because everybody has a way of thinking and, you know, when you're a full-time instructor and you own a school, like you don't get to necessarily experience it that much. So that is really just kind of my goal right now is just going and learning and traveling and training. So that sounds really, really fun. Actually, I, you know, I have to travel for my job. Um, and every time I'm at a new town, new state for, you know, a few days, I'm looking for a local gym and, and I crash it. Now, when you go, do you play dumb? Do you like just act like don't tell them your background or do you tell them your background? Something that I enjoy doing, if I go to a jiu-jitsu school and I'm talking to the owner of the school, I like to wear a white belt at first, like the first (laughs) class. That's just a ton of fun to me because, you know, it's I'm not going to necessarily like act really bad or anything uh, like I've seen some other people do. But I just have a lot of fun because you have those higher belts that are looking at you like, wait, what? And then uh, you go and roll with them and stuff. And then I'll tell them like at the end of class or something that I'm a black belt. But, you know, when I go to the crop schools, I let them know who I am and what I do and stuff. I don't necessarily play dumb like that. Just I'm just going to be straightforward with them because I feel like they'll have a little bit more respect for you and they won't treat you like it's your first day. And so, you know, it, it's just uh, that's, that's the jiu-jitsu side of the thing is the only thing I do for having fun with their students. <laughs> Yeah, that that would be fun. 
Yeah, there's pros and cons of letting them know who you are and stuff like that. And you know, when I when I travel, you know, I just I just sign up, I go to the class, and you know, usually about halfway through the class, then they're asking me like, who are who are you? You know, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you know, who who are you again? And then you know, I tell them, you know, I'm not trying to withhold it, but yeah, you know, because. It's funny the people who a lot of times that come into this because we have gym crashers, you know, dropping fees coming to our our school all the time. People who uh, traveling and you know they do what we're doing, and some of them are awesome. Some of them have all these claims, and then you, you know you get them rolling or get them sparring, and you know then they're like, oh, I got to go, you know. Uh, yeah, you get all different types of people. Now let's talk about sparring for a minute. Um. What's your thoughts on people learning Krav Maga just for self-defense, um, maybe doing sparring, doing some uh, kickboxing, doing some uh, rolling? Yeah, so my concept that I had at my school was I had my Krav class and I had a rotating curriculum. And in the curriculum, we always had striking involved. So uh, on A-Day, which was like a Monday, Tuesday, we would be working on combatives and it would always rotate. So like every single month uh, they would be working on the same combatives because I was, you know, a firm believer, like, yes, you need to get good at striking. Then when they would do their Muay Thai stuff on B days, which was Wednesday, Thursday, they're doing combos and putting stuff together and they would be doing um, uh, like offense, defense kind of thing. So I throw the combo at you, then you throw it back at me. So you're, obviously working on it in a controlled manner. But I had my advanced Muay Thai class and I had a jiu-jitsu class as well. And everybody was welcome to do those. I tried to focus just on Krav in those classes, but I would always encourage them, hey, you need to do these classes. As they, as they got closer to getting a black belt, six months before they were eligible to test for black belt, they had to do two advanced Muay Thai classes and two jiu-jitsu classes a week. So oh, I really wow. amplified their training. Yeah, that's awesome. They could go in there. Yeah, they could go in there and be totally fine because they've done all the, the techniques and whatnot. Now they're just actually putting it together live. Now in Krav, yes, sometimes I would have them do boxing and a little bit of sparring. But because I had those other classes, I wasn't forcing the people to do it. Because if you think about like your typical soccer mom, they don't want to get punched in the face. No, they just want to learn self-defense and whatnot. So that's why I separated those. And, you know, if they were very serious about it, though, they did have to commit to those other classes the last six months. Now, you know, that's three years of training or two and a half years. And then the last six months of that and then doing the jujitsu as well. They just they're rolling. And I mean, they were we're producing a very, very effective and efficient black belts at that school just because of how hard they had to train. And then it was like a 27 hour test after that and wilderness survival. And there's a ton of stuff that we did with them, but that, that was just kind of my aspect of it. Uh, I, I do believe sparring is a huge importance of it. And even with the grappling, like I did do dr a lot of drills with grappling and getting them somewhat comfortable with it, but I didn't force them to, Oh, you have to grapple. We're grappling this whole entire class. We're sparring this whole entire class. If you wanted to do it, here's the other classes. So that was kind of my philosophy. But later on down the road, I did make them do it if they wanted yeah. to test for black belt. Well, so. I think that's awesome. And then you mentioned survival training. And as much Krav Maga instructors as I talk to, they all have like some really cool little nuances they do 
besides the training and learning the techniques to earn the black belt. So you mentioned having them cross train, but then you also mentioned wilderness survival. Now, what's the philosophy behind that? Like, where, was that something that you learned from your teacher? Was that something from your training or that, or from your region that you're like, hey, you need to know this? Yeah, that was more of the region because we were in the Smoky Mountains. And I, I just felt like it was important to have that general knowledge. And it's just something that I've always loved and enjoyed as well. And I had my own school and I could do it now. Yeah, so that's cool. I had a, a few guys who were a lot smarter than me at that stuff that would do the seminars for me. And I'd go with them. And basically what we would talk about is just basic navigation, basic first aid, uh, carry outs if you have someone that's injured and splints and um, tourniquets. We would uh, talk about fire starting, shelter building, things of that sort. And then the other thing that we did as well was a lot of firearm training. And uh, a good friend of mine owned a uh, fire, um, an outdoor firing range. And we would go there and do seminars and partner up with them. And the students would go to it and whatnot. And that was actually something that we incorporated as well in our testing and doing different drills and being able to handle a firearm, uh, changing magazines out, things like that. So just the basics of it, because, I'm a firm believer on, okay, if you're going to teach these people how to defend against the weapon, you need to teach these people how to use the weapon. And then same thing with, you know, jujitsu. Like I, that's why I made them do jujitsu because yes, we're teaching them how to do the technique and crop and whatnot and how to defend against it. But it's like, okay, now I really want you to put on the gi and I want you to roll and get comfortable with it and the wrestling and the takedowns, blah, blah, blah. Same thing with the striking, same thing with the weapons, same thing with the, the wilderness survival. So those were a few of the things. Now, of course, we did other, you know, fun seminars and uh, carjacking self-defense seminars, active shooter seminars. We did a lot with um, uh, home invasion stuff and room clearing as well. Nice. So, you know, we just, uh, during our firearms uh, rotation, that's what we would do. We would just incorporate that and have a ton of fun with it. So Now, how do you feel about, um, you know, somebody – working for the sheriff's department, for the PD, somebody working armed security, you know, and maybe they're feeling that like, hey, I don't, I, I'm just not comfortable yet, you know, martially, defensive tactics wise, and, and they want to train on their own time, their own dime. Um, is, is Krav Maga, is, is you know, jiu-jitsu, is Muay Thai, is judo, you know, what, what do you think is going to give them the most bang for their buck as a professional you know, like law enforcement officer. Yeah. And that was the thing too. Like when we had people come in, when I was working for the sheriff's office and we would like, they put me on their defensive tactics team and I would teach all the new people coming in as well. I told them, I was like, look, you're coming in here to be a professional, to keep these people alive and to keep yourself alive. If you don't think that this is important, you're not taking your job serious because this could happen at any moment. And you know, I, I I know so many law enforcement people that when we have the discussion, they'll just oh, look at my hip. Like, really? That's your answer? You can't always pull out your firearm and shoot someone and justify it. So I, I truly believe that, A, they do need jujitsu. Uh, hands down, you need to know how to control people if you're going to work in law enforcement or if you're going to have any type of security job uh, where you have to go hands on because that is such a huge flaw 
to where it's, you know, they're, they're missing that, that medium. Yes, they have their soft training and their hard training, but that, that, that medium is missed. And, you know, they, they need to do that. But at the same time, especially law enforcement, if they're on the road, they need to have basic knowledge of dealing with weapons and basic striking skills and whatnot. And, and that's the thing that I feel so bad about is, you know, their in-service training. They, they don't really ever do it that anymore. There, there's so many organization or uh, counties that just, you come in and it's just, you watch a video and you train for like an hour. I mean, they don't take it serious. And, you know, it's, there are a lot, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of counties that are changing that mentality and uh, their, their uh, statistics are improving huge and, and they need that. So like the, and I truly believe the perfect blend is jiu-jitsu for the control, Krav for the, the self-defense and, and some type of striking, you know, kickboxing, Muay Thai, boxing, something like that. Now, not everyone can do that and afford all three of those and have the time for it. So that's really where it boils down to the, the Krav or jiu-jitsu. Uh, it's, I, it's so hard. I would tell somebody both just because you, you need both if, if you're in that field. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what about for an employee who may encounter violence, you know, like the gas station clerk, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the teacher, the, the nurse on the psych ward, you know, what about for them? Yeah, depending on, you know, depending on the Krav school and, and what they're teaching and how they're teaching it and their philosophies and their background and style, uh, a crowd school can answer all those questions for you to where, you know, they're, they're going to be teaching the soft techniques, but then also improvised weapons and creating distance and finding exits and blah, 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 blah. So there are a lot of crowd schools like that because a lot of jujitsu schools nowadays, they are just competitive mindset. Right. You know, they've lost the way of the, the self-defense in a way. There are still few traditionalists that try to, keep that in mind and do the self-defense, but majority of them are just sport jujitsu now. So, you know, your nurses or something or soccer moms is what I've always called them. But, uh, you know, just the average Joe crowd may be the better answer just because it's fast and effective. You know, it's strike to the most vulnerable area, create distance, get out of there. And that can go a long way when dealing with the violent encounter uh, you know, but law enforcement, totally different. They're hands-on, everyday civilian. Krav may be the better answer for them. Yeah, and Krav, you know, is pretty simple to learn, too, you know. Um, yes, yeah. And that that's part of the philosophy, too. It can't be something that takes me a lifetime to master. I got to be able to use this, like, tomorrow, you know. Correct. And, and one thing, too, to add on to Krav, like, what I love about it is they take the best from all the different sides. You know, so when people say like Krav doesn't work, and I even made a video about this too. If somebody says Krav doesn't work, then you're saying boxing doesn't work. You're saying kickboxing doesn't <laughs> right, work. You're right. saying jujitsu doesn't yeah, work. You're yeah, saying yeah. wrestling doesn't work. Like we're teaching techniques from those styles. Yes. So, you know, to say that it doesn't work, well, then you're just saying that your style doesn't work. And that's not true at all. Right. All these styles are efficient. And, you know, there's traditional martial artists that, have been doing it for years and years and years, and they are just absolutely phenomenal. Now it gets, it takes years and years and years and years to get to that point, but 
you know, Krav, like you said, we're taking the best from these different styles that have been proven time and time again, and we're teaching the most effective techniques and the quickest to learn. Yeah, and I think that's real important, you know, for for the people that have violence in their jobs and and, and their the job may not pay for them to train or give them any training, you know, because um, you know, Krav does teach about avoiding conflict and situational awareness and all that stuff as well. And then there is some soft and medium, and then it does teach you when your life's in danger, this is how you're gonna take them out. You know, even if they have a gun or a knife or a baseball bat. Punches, chokes, you know, takedowns. It has the solutions from all that. So, yeah, I definitely agree that Krav's pretty awesome. Now, with your Krav training, now that you're traveling, how has your Krav training helped you as you're wandering the country? Has it assisted you? As far as? Well, I mean, like what, travel, more aware? Yeah, traveling. Awareness? Yeah, what do you mean? traveling's dangerous, you know, and, and there's a – so – you know, a lot, there's a lot of traveling like salesmen or traveling trainers and they're getting mugged. They're, they're, you know, bad stuff's happening to them because they don't have any type of training. But I'm just wondering if your crop background has helped prevent, you know, violent attacks while you're Roman. Oh yeah. Okay. I totally understand what you're saying now. Uh, we, you know, when, when we're at these RV parks and whatnot, uh, Currently, right now, we, we've been doing this since September, uh, traveling and whatnot. And you go to these different RV parks. I mean, everyone there is just super friendly, super cool, super nice. And, you know, you make friends pretty quick. So inside the parks, I mean, I haven't had to experience anything like that yet. I've never had uh, anyone that even set off any red flags by any means. Uh, in the places that we're going to... Uh, just from my personal thing is we haven't had to deal with anything like that as well. Now, granted, is there danger everywhere? Yeah, of course. Are there bad people everywhere? Yeah, of course. Uh, I've had the, uh, you know, the blessing to marry a, a, a woman who is far more aware than I am. And, you know, she picks up stuff just because of her background and whatnot and some stuff that happened to her, but she is always just vigilant on being aware. And I truly, and like, she's like my sidekick, uh, very comfortable with her. She, she notices a lot. So, you know, I'll take care of the, the, the heavy lifting if there's ever a situation, but she handles all the awareness for me and don't get me wrong. I'm still aware too. And, and try to pick stuff up and whatnot, but you know, we make a great team. Yeah. Well, that's one of the benefits you mentioned 265, you know, <laughs> you know, when you're a big imposing dude, you know, you have a different kind of, uh, life story, you know, as far as people are looking at you as a threat. But you mentioned your wife being the vigilant one in her background. She's looking at everybody else as a threat. So that's a really good team, you know, her situational awareness and, and then your ability. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I really, I really wish ladies would be like her just because of like, you know, how aware she is. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous to me sometimes things that she notices but it, it's just one of those you know people that travel and are at new places they're just having fun and on their phones the whole entire time and not paying attention and you know you become a very easy victim and don't get me wrong there's places where you travel where all they do is try to mug travelers that's that's how they make a living and you know you just have to obviously talk to locals and, and be aware of the bad areas and whatnot but just 
being aware is something that will easily save your life more times than not. And anytime I did a seminar, I always, always, always started with awareness drills. And the thing that I told them, I was like, look, guys, if you don't remember anything from this, the only thing that I want you to take away is being aware because you can avoid so many situations from it. Definitely. Definitely. So, um, one of the things I noticed about um, when you were running your school is that you did a lot of community projects too, and I know that that's not standard, you know. So what 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 was the reasoning behind that? So I've just always had a heart of giving back. That was just kind of how I was raised, and truly believed that you do need to give back to the community. And we had a lot of fun with that. We required students as they progressed through the belt ranks. Uh, so for the, the youth, that is, that was something I wanted to pass along because I truly believe giving back to your community is one of the greatest things you can do. And it's one of the most rewarding things and just helping people out. And it's not necessarily helping them out with money. It's helping them out with your time. And that goes a long way. So we would uh, just require students to, depending on their belt level, that would be how many hours they'd have to do. So if, for example, they're uh, a white belt, it'd be one hour, yellow belt, two hours, so on and so forth. And then the max was 10 hours. But we would give them three months to do it. So it's not like we're forcing them and you have this time crunch and whatnot. But that was just kind of a, a very unique thing that we did. I don't, I've, don't know a lot of schools. I've never even actually heard of a school that has done that. I know a lot of schools that do community projects. Right. And... Then something uh, a little bit after, my, my wife came up with the idea because a lot of people ask, like, hey, what can we do? And so my wife came up with this uh, community outreach program, and the name is totally slipping my mind right now. But we would um, go and just find different projects, and we would work with different organizations. We would go to a local park and just pick up trash, and we would schedule them. And this was right before COVID hit, which really sucks too, because it, it took away a lot. I think we started it in 2019, but we would have groups of like, we'd have like 50 people showing up Nice. and we'd go and just clean parks and we'd go and help organize, um, um, foster care places, or we would build stuff for them and, you know, just help as much as we could. So it was a ton of fun. It was absolutely one of the most rewarding thing. And I truly believe that those kids, will be impacted from that. Yeah. You know, for sure. and, and that was, that was really the thing that we wanted to do is just, we our our slogan was building a better community. One black belt at a time. Nice. And that was, you know, what we, what we focused on. I wish more um, schools would focus on creating good people besides just good practitioners, you know? Yes. Cause oh, yeah. there's such a, a influence that a coach has over a pupil. And one of the, Worst things I've seen in my martial art career, I've had the unfortunate opportunity to be around some real, you know, just not good people who were coaches. But the worst part was seeing that rub off on their students, you know, it, you know, getting high with the teacher, going out and getting in street fights with their teacher, going to the bar with their teacher, you know, um, getting arrested just like their teacher did for doing the same thing. You know, and to me, it's like, you know, man, you know, I, you know, I don't want to get too crazy, but it's like, you know, 
like to be a nurse, to be a doctor, to be a dentist, like there's boards and there's governing bodies. And if you have malpractice, they will take your license away. Even to be an NRA instructor, you know, you do too much unsafe gun handling in a classroom. You get complaints on you. They'll investigate. They find out it's true. You will no longer teach for them, you know, but there's nothing like that in martial arts, you know, so you got good teachers like you teaching people how to be good and serve and give back. And then you got, you know, busters out there teaching people how to be bad guys. And it's, you know, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I totally agree. And, and going back to that, like, I love what global does with our CMAT program. Like people, you know, they, they go, they train, they learn a lot of cool stuff. They get their black belt and then they go and open up a school. Like they don't know how to teach. Right. I've, been, I've seen so many instructors that, you know, they have a, a good mindset, but it's like, they don't know what they're doing. And, you know, we've been very blessed with the upbringing and, and training with some of the best martial art instructors in the world and going through their organizations and learning all their systems and then being able to incorporate that and add our own tweaks to it. And, uh, you know, we've, we've just been truly blessed and it's just kind of carried over. So I want to switch gears because you've done something that's really cool. And, uh, I think this is just as neglected, you know, as far as training people how to teach. It's kind of right in line with that. You have created a successor, you know, for your school that, that you used to run. Um, I think that's so important, you know. Um, and it, it's the same thing. You, you teach an instructor how to teach. But I've seen schools and different organizations change hands, you know, and the person, you know, they, they weren't ready for it and and you know it, it was bad so talk to us about like building a successor building an assistant instructor you know building someone to to help you did, was it all the same stuff in the certified martial art teacher program or did you have your own spin on it yeah so i would i would run uh, my own instructor programs just because but now granted they go hand in hand with the cmat but there was a few little tweaks in there and other stuff as far as like helping the community and some rules that I had for the school and whatnot, but we would do in-house stuff and you can tell the students that are very passionate about martial arts and that are always wanting to help and always want to be, you know, Hey, is it cool if I do this or do that? And you can just see it. I mean, it's super easy to see. And so what I would do is, okay, you know, after a little bit of time, I'd, I'd give them, hey, would you like to continue with this? Would you like to help out more? And if they said, yeah, then I would do the training for free. And um, a lot of times, you know, I would comp their membership if they're actually teaching a certain amount of classes for me or, or something along those lines. And if they ask for more, you know, like, hey, can I do this? Can I do that? You know, those are the ones that I'm looking for to mold and, and invest more time in. Nice. And we would just work with those people. Uh, one of them, you know, has his own school now. Uh, another one that I did uh, is now the owner of, of our school. Um, you know, there was people that back in California when I first started teaching that still reach out to me to this day that work in law enforcement and, hey, I still, you know, do the things that you showed and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's really cool and unique in that sense to just see the, the ripple effect. And like I said, I, I've been very blessed with just the people that have been in my life and taught me because it's carried me a long way and learning from them. And, and it really boils down to just not being closed minded. 
Yeah. And so, I, you know, I, those, those are the other skills that I look for. Uh, when I was finding people that were just good quality human beings is, are they open-minded to this? How are their attitudes and what do they do for a living and whatnot? So those are just a few of the things that I would look for and kind of pass off to. And, and that's awesome. And, you know, I wish more, um, you know, instructors had instructors were doing that because, um, you'd think there was, there would be a lot of secure instructors out there being martially competent, but sometimes people are insecure and they don't want to build anybody up and they want to hold back knowledge and they want to be the guy who knows everything, but man, that's not really helping the school. And, and then it's, you know, if, if God forbid something happened, you had to leave, or if you wanted to do something different and sell it and, and you didn't have that successor trained because you were always holding back, you know, that's not a good future for the school. So what you were doing, what is really cool, um, discipling and training, and it shows a lot of, you know, security as well and confidence in yourself that you could pass off what you know, and you're not insecure about it, you know, like a lot of other instructors are. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and I told every single one of those people, hey, if you ever need anything, I'm always here for you. And and I just had one of my instructors actually yesterday text me and was like, hey, would it be cool if you talk to my son? He's, want, he's not opening up a martial arts school, but he's wanting to start his own business. And, you know, that just means the world to me that a gentleman who's way older than me would look at me and think of me first to help his son open up his own school just because of the friendship and the connections that we've had. And, you know, that was just a, a big part of it and just to impact those people's lives and be there for them. So that's really cool. And that's another thing that a lot of instructors don't have knowledge on. Not only did they not get really teaching on how to teach, but they didn't get really teaching on how to be a businessman and, you know, you need yeah. both. You're not going to be a successful yeah. school if you don't know how to teach and you don't know how to run a business. It's not going to last very long. Even if you're a world champion, you know, it's going to fall apart, you know, without those other skills. That, that means nothing to the normal everyday person. Right. Now, I want to switch yeah, gears. Make... You, you, have, oh, go ahead. you have done both things. You've done in-person training and you've done a lot of online training. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there that diss martial art instruction online and i will probably say just first of all i think obviously probably in-person training is the best but when that's not an option what would you say to someone out there that says i'm not going to do online training how, how it's impossible to learn martial arts online what, what would you say to them yeah so uh, and i would tell them i would be like look um uh, have you ever gone on youtube to look up something yes or no Everybody has pretty much anymore. Yeah. I mean, everybody goes onto YouTube to figure out how to do something, to learn something, regardless of what it is. Every single jiu-jitsu instructor that I know goes on YouTube, watches these techniques. Oh, and then, you know, we'll be showing it. Uh, as a martial artist, if, if you've trained before, it's very, very easy for us to see what that person is doing and understand it. The brand new person, it's going to be a little bit harder to do online training. You have to be very disciplined because in a way you're teaching yourself. Now I also go back to like Taibo, you know, everybody did Taibo. Everybody do, uh, does these like online fitness training programs. So many people have done it and you're just following along with it. Now, 
there are some styles that I believe you just can't do online. It would just be too hard. Like you need the, you need that partner. You need that human interaction. Krav, as long as you have a partner, you can, you can do it. You can learn because the way that we break things down for you and how simple Krav is, it is not a hard style to do. Now, if we only had the classes and assignments and that was it, that would be one thing. But we have so much interaction with our students that in order for them to progress through the ranks, they're doing student uh, peer assignments to our other students and other people and influencers that are in our program will go and help out and give feedback. Then they have instructor assignments to where we're there watching them. Then they have their actual tests and they have to, I believe those tests, even though they're not as long as a instruct, like an actual test at a school, it's just as physically demanding because you're doing it typically nine different times and you have to be aggressive and fast and meet all of the qualifications. And I actually grade people online harder than what I do in person because I expect that person to be perfect. I won't pass someone if they didn't get 100% on the test. In person, you know, they could be a little sloppy or something like that, and then I could work with them after. Right. So, yeah, in person is always better. You're going to get that instant feedback. Hopefully your instructor does that with you. But with the online, it may take a few days for that feedback to come back. But, like, I'm going to expect more out of that person than I would my normal students. Uh, just because of it is online. And I will say this though, every single black belt that I've had come through or the uh, black belt candidate come through from GMAU and they came in person and did their testing with me. Some of them were right there with my students, if not better. Um, just because of, like I said, how disciplined they have to be. So it's not for everyone. And, you know, and I'll tell people that too. It's like, Hey, if you can't, discipline yourself to actually put in the work and you're not self-motivated, it's not going to be for you. It's like some people can go to college online. You know, how can you do that? How can you go and become a nurse online? Right? <laughs> like you do so much of the work online and then, yeah, you'll have some in-person stuff, but it's very little. So, you know, it's, that's the, the day and age that we're moving to. So it's actually super easy nowadays, in my opinion, to let people see it. And I think people have a better understanding than it was five years ago and uh, the way that the world evolves and how we're still evolving to like the meta universe and VR stuff. I mean, you know, hopefully we get to that technology soon, but it'll be uh, very, very interesting to see where online training goes. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, you know, was always the biggest proponent of in-person training, you know, being a trainer, you know, obviously I'm biased, but you know, I, I learned better in person because I'm old, but one of the things that I've learned is these, these, this younger generation, they grew up learning online. You know, like you were saying, like even us adults, we look stuff up on YouTube. You know, sometimes I feel useless as a husband. There's, you know, washing machines acting up and, you know, my, my wife tells me about it before I could even fix it. She, she YouTubed it figured it out and did it herself. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and I'm like not feeling too manly, but you know, these kids that grew up learning online, even when they're in person in the classroom, there's online learning that they're doing so much as a part of their day. So I think mm-hmm. definitely for the, the younger folks too, it's like normal for them to learn online. 
Oh yeah. And I, I mean, now, like after this whole COVID stuff happened and how our world shifted to online, like I, I don't ever foresee an issue with people asking me that, Oh, how does that work? Like, I don't ever have to really feel like I have right. to answer that question anymore just because it's, it's what we do. I Definitely. mean, our, our, uh, our, um, our trial program uh, added like 200 students, if I remember correctly, over the course of uh, 2020. You know, it grew so much because of the people that trained at other bricks and mortar schools and they shut down and whatnot and they needed a place to go. Yeah. And, and we had a lot of those students stick around. So, yeah, that's cool. Um, so we hit our hour mark, but I definitely want you to get, you know, a plug, a shout out to any projects you got going. I know you, um, you're kind of an inspiration to, uh, following your dreams and, and switching gears and doing things. So what do you got going on? What do you want people to know? What do you want? Who do you, how do they follow you? What, what can we do? Where can we find you? Yeah, you can find me on a beach somewhere. Typically. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, yeah. Following my dreams, just to give a quick little backstory of that. We, uh, in September, my wife, or in July, my wife and I went on a trip and to Florida and we just absolutely loved it. We, we're very relaxed. We enjoyed it. And we had the discussion and a lot of it was me, but you know, my, my wife agreed and we just decided the way the housing market was. And we decided to sell our house, decided to sell our school and, and travel full time. So that's, uh, you know, we don't, we're not really tied down anywhere. We're absolutely loving life and enjoying that one big passion of mine that I love. And I, I've always just, I love learning and challenging myself and I picked up disc golf during COVID uh, when that first started, just because that was one of the only things I felt like you could do, you know, you can go to a park and throw a Frisbee around. Now, granted, there were some places that put trash bags over the cages and you couldn't play, but uh, that was uh, something that I felt like, Hey, this is a ton of fun. And, and I really picked that up. So one of the things that I do on top of my martial arts is, I play disc golf. I have a YouTube channel that I started called the traveling disc golfer to where I just travel the country and playing different uh, courses and showing people, you know, all over the place and letting them see it. Uh, still competing tournaments for that because the, the martial arts side of things, like I did all my fighting and competing in my twenties. I don't really have anything to prove anymore. I don't want to do that. I don't want to get hurt. Uh, so now my, my new hobby and, uh, passion is disc golf so that is definitely fun and then uh you know instagram same thing the travel and disc offer i actually got sponsored this year for disc golf so that was wow. pretty cool that is cool uh yeah the the company's called flight factory and they're in uh, florida so that was very unique and then just uh dustin Koppel, you can find me on facebook and uh we also have uh, a instagram page that my wife runs called the traveling topples to where you can see all of nice. our adventures and kind of what we're doing and uh just you know those are our main plugs as far as that goes and then of course uh you know my main i'm, I'm still attached to martial arts and uh, the global martial arts university is uh, another one if you guys you know want to learn at your own pace want to just kind of gain some basic knowledge and self-defense things but you don't want to pay a hundred, two hundred dollars to go to a school. We're very affordable. It's like thirty nine or forty nine bucks a month. And uh I, I, I think it's thirty nine. 
Uh, you can tell I, I do a lot of research on that part, but Global Martial Arts University, highly, highly recommend it. They have a lot of different styles on their Muay Thai kickboxing. There's some traditional styles on their Taekwondo. You can learn weapons. So, you know, adding to that, whatever you guys want to learn. But Aaron, I do appreciate the time and uh, look forward to maybe doing another one of these in the future. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much for your time and safe travels. And a uh, little jealous, you know, we're sitting here, you know, like zero degrees. So, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's partly cloudy, like 65 degrees. Oh, nice, so. nice. Uh, <laughs> all right. Maybe sir. go to the beach and go fishing or something. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. So for Mr. Dustin Koppel, I'm Aaron Icino. Together today, we are the Evil Safety Dudes. Until next time, everybody, stay safe.